Your organization is building and updating business-critical web applications faster than ever. And with so much pressure to move fast, you may find yourself making trade-offs between innovation and security. Now you can build fast without sacrificing security with Invicti, the zero-noise application security platform that helps your dev, sec, and ops teams work together to secure every website, web app, and API. With unparalleled accuracy, coverage, and automation, Invicti scales like no other AppSec solution. Invicti, AppSec, with zero noise. Visit securityweekly.com slash Invicti. The Security Weekly News is live on Tuesdays and Fridays at 12 o'clock Eastern Time most every week. I try to scan and produce a quick look at some major stories to help you keep up with what's going on in and around the industry in a short format. Myself, Jason Wood, and other guest commentators provide greater insight every week. I'm Doug White, and I hope that you will look for the Security Weekly News in all of your favorite podcast catchers and subscribe for the latest content. Welcome back to Application Security Weekly. We just talked with Liz Rice about eBPF and its bright future and bringing high-performance security and visibility into the Linux kernel. I'm your host, Mike Shima. I'm here with John Kinsella, and it's just about time for the news. But first, one announcement. Please join us at an upcoming official cybersecurity summit at the city near you. The series of one-day invitation-only executive-level conferences are designed to educate senior cyber professionals on the latest threat landscape. We're pleased to offer listeners $100 off admission when you use code SECWEEK23 to register. Visit securityweekly.com slash cybersecurity summit to learn more and register today. I've got another slightly off the wall uh, start off AP I don't know question uh, to start us off, John. And this comes from actually um, one of our news articles. This is what's the best soundtrack? Don't know if you have a good answer for this or a favorite answer. Um, off the top of my head, uh, how about the Matrix? The first Matrix. Uh, you had the Prodigy, Rob Zombie, uh, one of my favorites. I think that's the first from Rob Dugan. Um, little, little newer, little more harder than what you usually say with your AD stuff. But um, yeah, how about that one? No, that's a good one. Uh, that, uh, for, for me, I wanted to say the uh, Bauhaus and the opening credits of The Hunger. Nice. Um, absolute great uh, opening, but it's not the full soundtrack. So I'm just going to go with uh, Kenny Loggins and Top Gun. So um, that, that's bringing in the 80s. But the reason I ask this is because some of our friendly researchers over at Wiz, they've been picking Azure apart again. Um, and this time going after Active Directory, which unfortunately I think is just... It's, this is the Azure flavor, but Active Directory is kind of the usual suspect within Microsoft world, sadly. But what they were able to do is uh, get some pretty amazing access that got them into influencing and changing, for example, Bing search results so they could show, they could modify what they thought were the, the best soundtracks. And of course, they threw up Hackers, which also has some great tracks in there. Um, but I, 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 there, there's some couple things I want to say. Talk about this sort of at, at the meta level, but I'm not sure if there's some input, there, there's some details in this in this hack that really spoke to you. Um, no, I think I'm saving my my editorial until after we cover the second one. Um, but <laughs> okay. you no, know, I, I think this this is interesting, right? I think probably where it came from to a degree. I mean, I'm not sure how long, I forget the history on this, but I'm guessing as, you know, Bing was sort of a, um, at least a second rate uh, search engine after Google for the last, what, decades. So now they're going to start getting more attention on with ChatGPT. Mm-hmm. I suspect more researchers are going to start poking around. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how, how that treats things, unfortunately. But tell us a story. 
No, I think we, so we've, you know, we've covered Wiz and Orca. Um, both have been picking apart Azure. They've touched on some AWS and GCP, but this also, I, I wonder how much we're seeing this in public, these uh, sins of implementation within Azure, because the, the, the security companies are using it and using it for their marketing fairly um, to show off good research that they have. But I, to, in my mind, is also coming back to the idea of, you know, what were the early days of AWS like, or what are perhaps some things that we haven't learned as an industry because there wasn't as much sharing about vulnerabilities, about what's going on within these um, cloud service providers. So that was kind of what, what, what brought my... Um, uh, mind around too, as well as I mentioned Wiz. Let's go over to Orca too. And this one, XSS became useful. I love XSS as a uh, intellectual exercise. How can you find a vulnerability? How can you play with a payload? But I've often just seen it as like, uh, okay, it's a bug bounty, go fix it. But it's not an end of the world. Whereas in this case, uh, not an end of the world for for Azure, but uh, their service fabric um, pulled apart by XSS. And it sounded like you, uh, don't hold back, John, wanted to talk about this. Um, so yeah, so we, we, we sort of sketched over that first one really quickly, but, um, for our folks who look at the details behind either of these, there's, you know, it's, it's cross-site scripting, which usually we sort of go, oh, that's used for like, you know, putting unicorns on screen or clickjacking or whatever else have you. I know clickjacking is a stretch, run with me, but both of these examples are able to access, manipulate Microsoft Azure internals, um, if not other Microsoft products. So they're, they're pretty serious. Um, they're both pretty long write-ups. I mean, as we've said many times, both these these companies are doing <laughs> really great stuff. But here's the comment I wanted to make, um, which is you know not holding back. We've, we've got a lot of layoffs going on in, in the tech world, um, including at Microsoft. And some of the layoffs at Microsoft last week was on their security team. Um, folks know I'm my longtime listeners who of the show have seen me go from being rah rah Microsoft two billion a year to like what the hell's going on. It, you've got this type of stuff going on, and like from you know contacts I have of what the, people are going like I can't believe that person was let go. Um, so I hope things change, um, and I'm saying that not so much purely just to sort of rant against Microsoft, but any management out there listening, you know. Um, it's not just, you know, we are a cost center. We're not a profit center. Microsoft has actually turned security into a profit center, which makes it even weirder that they've let these people go. But, um, and it's about 500 is my understanding. But uh, just if you're a manager, think about where do you make cuts? How is that going to affect you longer term, you know, especially on application security? Do you want to be the target of an article like this from these companies in the future? You know, it's, it's, it's just... Please be careful, I guess, is my the, the TLDR on, on what I'm trying to say here. Yeah, and perhaps there's a topic perhaps more um, relevant for, for BSW, for business or enterprise mm -hmm. security weekly than here on ASW. But, you know, we haven't brought up those, some of the articles about Congress looking at maybe we should you know revisit what the security of these cloud service providers are doing and what they should be responsible for because they there's this the the aspect of shared security but it's more of a, a shared fate and it's more of pushing on AWS or Amazon Google uh, Microsoft to be like you are stewards a lot of this very foundational infrastructure pay attention to those cost centers now I'm yeah. hand waving a little bit but I think there's a there's an angle there for sure. Yeah. And it's, it's, 
and again, this is something we've covered many times. And it's interesting now because there's a little bit of this. Again, we haven't covered this in the show. There's a little bit going on in in some parts of the world of the industries about um, rehoming from particularly data from the cloud providers back to on-prem. But the general trend, no matter who you look at, is is cloud providers are getting more and more and more common for usage. So. Um, yeah, we've talked about cloud CVEs. We talked about a bunch of different aspects up here. So it's there's aspects of how this is going to play into to cloud security and how, um, excuse me, application security and how we're actually affecting and implementing. But um, we'll 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 keep banging the drum and, and see if we can make a change. We will, and we will also change up our articles now. Switch over because we got a bunch to cover. Um, I, I pulled in about th the three CX. Uh, so this is a supply chain attack, and you you also mentioned supply chain in our good conversation with 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 Liz. So this seems worthy to bring up. As a side comment, it's funny to me how we see like just the language of description describing attacks. We 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 see a lot of zero days, but one click is more common now, and now more things are a supply chain attack rather than describing what was. Protect, perhaps the initial breach. This, of course, was um, uh, use some code signing, apparently compromised code signing certificates. So they, these looked like a legitimate uh, SBOM, if you will, match of the contents of your application to what's executing. But as Sentinel-1, I think, was first to discover and call it smooth operator. So shout out to the Sade reference, excellent song. Um, uh, you know, they, they they saw these were Trojan, and the article I wanted to pick up here was from uh, Patrick Wardle over at uh, Objective C, who does wonderful work on macOS reverse engineering. He also has a book. So, speaking of authors, um, go check out Liz's book, but also check out Patrick's, which is his current um, uh, draft is I think free on his website. You can you can check it out. But it's a great walkthrough if you're interested in just what do the internals of reverse engineering a macOS binary look like, and as well as he points out to some of the areas of what code signing looks like, what are, its, what are some tools to use. So it's it's very accessible, despite the fact that it's getting into a lot of the um, binary and deeply technical parts. So th that's, that, that's, that, that was my uh, editor's choice for which of the 3CX articles I wanted to bring in. Yeah, I like that. And it's funny, I was actually going to let 3CX go, but I'm, I'm glad you brought it in. Um, and yeah, Patrick does amazing stuff uh, for folks who aren't familiar with him beside the book. Um, he's got a few open source projects out there for Mac. So he focuses on Mac security, um, but he's got a few open source projects that sort of help improve the security of your Mac. Um, he's got Patreons and all those type of things too. So um, some great stuff there. And then uh, you know, one comment uh, for the general with our, our media hats on um, for the PR folks out there that are always sending us, um, you know, trying to get us to to have their their guests or their their clients on our show um, or their articles. Obviously, if you have some references in there to music or 80s music, there's a much better chance. So think about that when you're writing uh, uh, something for trying to get us to talk about on the show. Exactly why we talked about the OAuth dirty dancing too. So yeah, guilty as charged, John. Um, since, since you called that out, I'll throw it over to you to talk about some of the more, I think, hardware-related oh, articles no. that, that caught your eye. Let's see. Um, on the hardware side, there was two uh, fun ones. And... Um, yeah, let's talk about uh, first uh, AMD's Ryzen. Uh, so uh, the folks over at Igor's lab, I'm not sure if that's a single person or several um, Igor's, but um, they figured out that with uh, AMD's, uh, the Ryzen 7, uh, the X3, X3, X3D CPU, easy for me to say, while in the BIOS of these systems for um, an MS, MSI-based BIOS, they've grayed out the options so you can't overclock and, and over um, over voltage, which is, you know, good, keeps you safe, and you might be able to go faster, but at the same time, your CPU doesn't burn up. Uh, what folks have figured out 
is that uh, there is software which you can download from these providers or from MSI in particular, which runs in Windows. Um, and that result will, um, that doesn't have those things grayed out. So you can overclock, which, hey, that's cool. You know, worst case, your chip's going to crash and, and, you know, you try again or, you know, get more, um, get more cooling, whatever have you. But that second option about overvolting, uh, which is used sometimes for overclocking, sometimes for, for different things. Um, if you overclock by about two or three steps on this particular CPU, you kill the CPU. Um, and then so further researchers figured out or after this blog post was put up that we linked to, um, other folks called in and said they're actually seeing the same issue with BIOSes and software from Gigabyte, ASRock, and Asus, or ASUS, depending on who you are. Um, so yeah, that that's I, I think on the John scale I call that pretty bad. Uh, but what I'm what I'm wondering about there also is can this be weaponized? So is there something special going on in that software? And I, I didn't get a chance to look. Are they do they have some sort of assigned path into the BIOS to make these these configuration changes, or can someone write malware which just goes and and I think they can um, spikes this, this particular CPU up to you know five volts instead of one point seven or something, and you'd suddenly have a, a lot of um, unhappy CPU customers. Oh, indeed, that's uh, definitely for especially in the gaming gaming realm. That uh, would be some serious griefing yes. to, to cause someone else if you could do that, and. Um, PlayStation, speaking of griefing, has uh, not turned into griefing their own security researchers. They've embraced them, which is good to see with bug bounty programs. Xbox had a, a had launched one of their bug bounty programs too early on, so Microsoft was a good proponent of that. Um, and this one was uh, perhaps bringing some nostalgia back for you. You, you. Have you played with some just some hard? Was it hardware reverse engineering or just hard or just uh, gaming on the PlayStation? I haven't touched a um, a, a console. Um, it's got to be at least two or three years. I'm, I've got a vaguely addictive personality, and games for me are just like, if I start playing games, you won't see me for weeks. So <laughs> I just don't touch them. Um, and also, I'm pretty busy usually. But yeah, no, so, uh, and it's it's interesting. I've talked a few times this year about uh, um, uh, PlayStation vulnerabilities, and they just sort of keep popping up on my radar. I'm like, hey, that's cool. It's sort of fun to see people. People are still actively working on that. Um, as someone who, you know, I've, I've been in that game-cracking space and, you know, my very, very long time ago. But it's sort of cool to see that people are still doing it and working on it. And I know that's getting harder and harder. But what was also interesting here is um, since Sony has their HackerOne uh, set up to, to do bug bounties, they're basically grabbing and, and fixing and paying off the researcher, not paying off, but they're, they're, set, they're paying a bounty to researcher. But that means we're, we as general public aren't actually seeing what was a vulnerability. And they're doing this so that, you know, that people don't start um, trying to exploit these vulnerabilities and, and, and cheat on games. But uh, as you were just mentioning there, Mike, yeah, I, I tend to be seeing a lot of the, the PlayStation ones. So I'm going to have to look a little bit wider and see what's going on in the Xbox world as well. Yeah, and those are fun topics. So, listeners as well, we've uh, you know we talked about a little bit of the reverse engineering from from Patrick's site, and there's reverse engineering with the PlayStation, and the article mentions they're expanding onto the iOS and Android as well. So, mm -hmm. um, we'll try to make sure we include those topics, but also let us know if there's particular tools that you have favorites, or there's certain areas you'd love to hear more of. Um, we'd love that kind of feedback. Another type of feedback is that uh, Twitter got some creative and clever feedback by uh, open sourcing uh, their their code, but specifically this is their recommendation algorithm code, so it's not the the uh, all of their code stack. And it was honestly, there's just so much going on at Twitter. It's just too easy, especially on April Fools, just to 
sigh and make fun of uh, of these. So, uh, what what I wanted to po- po- point out here is that uh, the code is up on GitHub. And people have creatively, cleverly, and also some abusively opened pull requests and issues against the code, which um, can be entertaining, I have to admit up front, but is also just kind of an interesting manifestation if we talk about GitHub, for example, built features to be able to be collaborative, working with code, and users can be creative about these features. And this is why we also have, in addition to security teams, trust and safety teams, because suddenly an opening issue, an opening PR becomes more than just talking about code. There are personal attacks, there could be abusive language in that, or there can just be someone now is, uh, Twitter, if there's anybody left that hasn't been fired yet, has to go through and figure out, are there, is there anything legitimate in here? Is there anything that actually would help this algorithm help the open source project, or is it just close, delete, close, delete, close, delete? And that's just what I want to highlight from GitHub's perspective. They wouldn't have expected this type of thing, perhaps, but they do have some ways to implement, protect users, especially on a smaller scale than, uh, th- than Twitter, about these types of scenarios. Um, uh, <laughs> so that's how I wanted to talk about it without talking about it. Um, how, how do you want well, to navigate well, no, no, that so, job? So what, you know, for, for folks who haven't, you know, we, we've usually read, well, we frequently read these articles. We're frequently sort of catching up as we're talking through them. I've, <laughs> I've read this one. I'm familiar with what's going on, but I just started clicking through some of the pull requests as we're talking here on the algorithm. <laughs> and uh, there's 200 open pull requests. And like, you know, there's a few are sort of basic funny haha. And I just clicked on one called Dare I Fixed It, 1413 for folks who are bored later. And, um, I'm not going to click through and figure out exactly what he's doing, but in the this particular individual, he's got a URL that he wants someone to go to along with a header with an, a bearer token with the authorization token hard-coded in. So um, I'm I, obviously it's funny, ha-ha, and, um, but, you know, and I imagine you're not going to go to trouble of separating out your your secrets when you're doing a funny, ha-ha pull request, but still it makes me cringe when I see that. Um <laughs> You know what I thought, the other thought in my head is you're sort of talking through, and you actually did hit upon it, Mike, is um, the work this this causes for folks um, yes. who are over there. And like, yeah. I think we've covered briefly in the past um, Google Summer, not some well, Summer Code, or there's like a Hack Muds and different sort of open source projects to get people, the intention is to get people to contribute more to open source. But from, I've seen from multiple um um, open source driven companies that suddenly in these months they start getting pull requests after pull requests that are really just noise because people aren't actually they're sending pull requests in but they're not either of quality or in an interest that the company cares about and you suddenly get you know um, a lot of work that someone has to go through so there's 200 in here what's the chance that you know five of them maybe 10 of them are actually valid and it looks like a few of them are people have put some effort in um so that's it's 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 gonna be a long day for someone over there who they were already busy. <laughs> so um, <laughs> best of luck, but yeah, yeah, I I yeah, new area, new era of transparency. But new um era. yeah, where do we wanna go next? Let's see. You are uh, just keeping an eye on a conference talking about a whole lot of uh, um, crypto stuff. You may want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So real world crypto 2023. So, and this is crypto as in cryptography for all of you old school and uh, rational minded people out there. <laughs> but uh, RWC, uh, really great topics. And even though it is real world crypto, um, you don't have to be a cryptography expert to appreciate many of the presentations, many of the panels. Um, and I can say that from personal experience because I'm no, by no means an expert in many of these fields. 
But some of the things that have stood out to me are, are one, just generally, the real world part means how do we apply cryptography? How do we actually build useful solutions, useful utilities for po- different populations. And I just highlighted in um, this, the show notes a couple different, uh, about four or five items that stood out to me. One was the uh, updates on standardization. So you can see the video already available from it. That was a panel just talking about what what has recently come into the, an HTTP or an HTML RFC, things like PAKE, which are ways of improving OAuth or ways of better handling passwords. Uh, so these are always good things we'd like to see. We'd like to see more WebAuthn. Uh, there was also a Crypto for the People presentation and video. This is about, uh, is cryptography being built and used for you know small populations, small populations of users that aren't just major companies that need to have you know encryption at rest, encryption in transit to pass their PCI or their SOC 2 audits, things like that. Um, two others were uh, cellular radio, null ciphers, and Android. Uh, slides for this them, the, uh, alone were just a great walk through 2G, 3G, 4G, all the different Gs of uh, networks, some of which are marketing, some of which are actual technical distinctions. Uh, but it's a nice history of just what is present for encryption that was uh, custom homemade encryption by the companies versus AES, GCM, that is more of an open standard, as well as there are a few cases where encryption doesn't is present, which actually has some legit cases if you need our emergency network services or you don't have uh, you, you and you 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 need to be, make communications before you can actually distribute keys. And then the final thing for um, while I'm giving John a, a chance to read through <laughs> as well is uh, framing frames. So also bypassing Wi-Fi encryption. This was really neat, and the slides from it uh, once again really well presented. And it's one of the one of the aspects that stood out to me for this is some researchers found a way in the the latest spec for for Wi-Fi is that there was a little bit of ambiguity in how to handle buffered packets, and so because of that ambiguity, they could basically choose their own encryption keys and inject some packets into some traffic. And um, so it's really clever, really interesting. It's not necessarily, at least I don't know, I don't want to over, oversell it in terms of this is the end of the world for Wi-Fi. Please just continue to use your Wi-Fi and all of your TLS connections at the at the local coffee shop. But a, a handful of presentations that I think are really accessible, um, and at least interesting to me, which means I hope they're interesting to our audience as well. Um, so poke, poke, John, have I uh, lost you now or are you still around? No, no, I'm still around. Um, you, you are triggering me a little bit. I'm... Uh, um in my spare time right now, I'm studying for Amazon's uh, um, Solution Architecture Pro certificate. It's fairly complex cert, but one of the areas in there is um, configuring IPsec with AWS. Mm. And configuring IPsec is like one of the worst things on the planet as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> like I've done enough of that like 15 years ago, and I'm like, oh God, this again. But yeah, so you mentioning a few things in there, I started like thinking about Diffie-Hellman and oh my God, we're back. Um, no, I think this. I, I haven't watched any of the talks here. There's one or two caught my eye. What actually, um, I'll talk about what really caught my eye in a second. But I think what I like about this is it's it's sort of obvious and hits you with a hammer from the name. But that real world aspect of it, a lot of stuff we talk yeah. about in crypto, crypto cryptography is sort of a little bit more hand wavy and like okay, it you know again back to thinking about the management aspect. People start going, yeah, but can someone really? Compromise this. We've got a Wi-Fi one. I'll hit really quick in a second here. But um, pet peeve of mine, um, which caught my eye, um, RWC 2023. I'm seeing a lot of conferences, their websites, they're using their initials for whatever it is. Um, There was a professional uh, um, 
photographers, I think like what, wedding photographers conference down in Vegas that my friend was going to. And it just had the initials. And like, what does that mean? And like, you start looking around the website and like, what is this, right? And like, these guys, at least on, they've got a general information page. And the first thing on there is real world crypto. So thank you. But um, it, it it's something which frequently catches my eye, I guess, from the startup world of, um, you know, be clear in your messaging. Like if you're talking to someone like who's not in your little bubble, like what are you doing? Or you know, don't have to go into like a really crazy description, but say, hey, this is, you know, this is what this means or have it in a fact or something so we can figure out. Um, but let me keep babbling real quick since it's crypto related and I don't have a tab for it, but I can talk to it. Uh, a flaw came out last week in or was report, it was published last week in Wi-Fi. I know it hit Cisco devices. I know it did not hit Unify. I'm not sure about everyone in between. But so what's going on here briefly, um, and this was something they found a while ago because the CBE has a 2022 date on it. Um, so it's at least been worked on in, in private for four or five months. But um, really briefly, uh, part of the, the Wi-Fi, either five or six spec says that a, a Wi-Fi client like your laptop or phone can send a signal back to the access point saying, hey, I'm going in low power mode, I'm going to sleep. Uh, it could be for 30 milliseconds or I think maybe a few seconds. But in the meantime, what's going to happen is the AP is going to start caching packets for you, right? And then once you wake back up, um, you'll download, you'll grab whatever those packets are. You'll, you'll tell the AP, hey, I'm alive. It sends you those packets and you catch up and you don't lose any data. Um, I know this is also used by like the ESP32s and stuff when they go into low power mode. Um, Someone figured out that you can go and say, tell the uh, um, the AP, the access point, that, hey, I'm going in low power mode. I'm going to sleep. You just cache my stuff for a few minutes. Or maybe you fake a MAC address and say that other guy's going to sleep. Or maybe the other one did go to sleep. And then you come along as an attacker and you contact the AP and say, hey, I'm awake. But whereas before you might have had a WPA or a WP or some form of encryption between those two points, between the, um, the AP and the, the client, you send it in good old plain text without any encryption. And what happens is I'm referring to this personally as a, a deauth attack, right? Because it's sort of like the deauth attacks which happened mm -hmm. on Wi-Fi a few years ago. But what will happen is the AP, at least some of them out there, will um, negotiate down and say, oh, you're in plain text now, so let me just go ahead and send you those cash packets back in plain text. Um, so I'm tying this back to your story about real world. So real world is going to be sort of hard to actually be in a place to, to perform that attack. You have to be at the right place, near a device. Um, you have to be able to, um, so most AP systems, or most Wi-Fi systems now, have what's called um, uh, a client isolation. So it becomes more difficult to do this type of attack. But you have to be able to jump around a few different things, but the end result is you would have been able to grab some of those cache packets which were being cached while the client was asleep. Um, but just something different that's out there. Cisco's fixed already. I'm not sure about other folks. But um, yeah, that one sort of caught my eye and thought I'd sort of bring in here and talk about it briefly. It is cool. And you, I, both of us got sidetracked this week too by some other fun articles. Yes. Um, just, I think just after we recorded last week, the GitHub had a fun release that caught your attention. Yes. So um, GitHub has come out with what's called a secure code game. Um, I've complained to their, main, to their marketing team. It's like, why didn't you tell me about this like two hours earlier so I could have talked about this last week? But we're talking about it this week. Um, so what this is here, if I can find the link to it and pull it up, they have a a GitHub repo, um, github.com slash skill slash secure code game. And there's five levels to it. And it's, so it's this actually, the, the intention here is to, to allow people to try and find where the vulnerabilities are in, in, in source code and then how would you go about fixing them, right? But what's neat about this in this case, beside the fact that we tend to, or at least I'll, I'll speak royal we here, I think Mike as well, but I like to um, 
find these type of games where I can engage the developers? How, how can I either, you know, budding out of college or like someone professional who's looking for like how do they improve their game? So if I remember right, the languages in here are used, there's both, I think, um, I know there's Python. I think one of them is done in Go, if I remember right. Sorry, I looked at this a week ago, which is a year for me. Um, but what was really interesting about this, not just different languages, different levels and, and skill sets, since this is on GitHub now with GitHub code spaces, you can actually run an experiment and play with this without having to download or do anything on your local machine um, at GitHub's free level. So I thought that was really neat that you'll get a chance here both to play with this code and experiment with it. And they've actually got instructions on their readme of like how to actually spin this up in code spaces. And so you can both get a chance to play with code spaces for free and actually see what it's like to develop in an IDE, which is basically VS Code, VS code but in the cloud through a browser. So you get to see what that's like. You get to play with these, experiment with these um, um, vulnerabilities and figure out how to fix them. And um, I thought that was really neat that they had that out there. So I'm hoping that this is the beginning of it again, and they're going to expand out and have maybe 10, 15, 20 levels with different, you know, have some WASM in there, some TypeScript or some different languages. But um, I th think it's a really neat start to how it's going so far. Or really neat, how about I simplify that? It's a really neat start. Just looking, there's still, there's um, commits to in the last five hours, they're still growing it, and hopefully it'll keep getting better. It will. And level two, they reference the matrix. So it also has some fun uh, thematic uh, styling too. But yes, as you point out, it's a great way to have hands-on interactive and education rather than just lecturing about the OWASP top 10 that everybody falls asleep to. Uh, another thing though that I thought that was pretty fun was a game that was uh, about attacking and defending GPT style prompts. And uh, so there are 19 levels of attack and about six levels of defense, but they're really just you know some creative thinking playing around with ChatGPT. And the gist of it is that the ChatGPT has a secret key and you're supposed to get it to reveal the key, even though it's been given instructions to forget the key, not to, not to divulge the key, respond with uh, very specific phrases if you try to ask for it. And there are fun ways to, to get around them. So I, I thought it was re really clever, really fun. There's a couple shortcuts that, that I discovered, but I've not figured out the single... Unicode that was uh, one of the major impressive bypasses for many of these. I didn't get a chance to play with this one yet. I really want to. Um, so in the behind the scenes, uh, we're both playing a lot with these GPT things. Um, maybe it'll come to light someday. We've, we've uh, <laughs> I, was, I, I, I wasn't participating, but I was watching uh, Mike and some of the other staff um, at uh, Security Weekly play with both either um, host descriptions, show descriptions. I think I saw some wraps for Application Security <laughs> Weekly and all sorts of other stuff coming out last week. And I, I was playing with a, um, I was getting ChatGPT to create an ad for if someone was searching for how to write some code in Python. So in other words, could you get ChatGPT to create its own ads? And then how do you how do you monetize this is where I was sort of thinking about. Um, we're playing with this stuff a lot. Uh, it, it's, it's entertaining us. Um, hopefully there's some good stuff to come out of it. I think this is probably one of the better things, right? How, the, the prompt defense is an area really of huge weakness. <clears throat> Excuse me. So um, I'm looking forward to playing with this, and hopefully a lot of our listeners are too. So please do. And uh, yeah, come by. If you, if you want some hints, come by to our Discord. I'd be happy to share a couple couple fun tricks that I discovered for, for this as well. Um, with that, there the one other GPT, I think, related item. Uh, John, why don't you take us out with that? Yes. One of the tools. So this is fun. Um, I We're always looking for tools and things to play with. And it's better yet when it's someone um, we know that is contributing or writing them. So there's a thing which came out. And again, I saw this just last week, um, probably after the show. 
K8SGPT. Um, and that's K8SGPT.ai for those listening along at home. Uh, and what they're doing, this is at least partially written by some of the folks over at CNCF and the Kubernetes spaces communities. Um, but what they're doing is they're taking the power of GPT and the ugliness of Kubernetes, Kubernetes errors and misconfigurations, and they're tying those two to quote unquote, give Kubernetes SRE superpowers to everyone. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So they released the code in last week, the initial version of it. I'm not sure if they're going towards the direction of doing a startup with this or what. I see they could, but we'll see what they do with it. Um, but they've got a GitHub out there plus some um, on that link I just mentioned, there's uh, some uh, um, uh, little screen capture videos of it in, in action. But basically, you know, it, it uh, you tell chat K8SGPT, Kate's GPT, um, hey, I've got this problem in my cluster, and it goes and it has to authenticate to your cluster. It gets the error messages, sends them up to GPT, gets a, um, a suggestion on how to fix it, and sends them back to you on a, on a prompt. So if you're not, you know, fairly expert level, because some of these errors can be super confusing still for how many years into it. So I think that's sort of a neat thing to play with. And um, hopefully that'll help some of our users out that are trying to get into the more of that cloudy type stuff. Indeed. Wonderful, w wonderful tool, wonderful fun. Um, we're, we'll look for more of that. And uh, listeners, when you if you come across interesting or useful or very entertaining <laughs> applications of GPT, let us know, um, because we're still trying to find this some, some, some ways to talk about it from a security angle. But thank you, John. Thank you, listeners. Please do subscribe, hit that like button, check out the show notes. And speaking of calls of the wild, check out Wild Ones by FM84 and Ollie Ride. We'll see you next time on Application Security Weekly. 